how would you rank this film first against Walk the Line mm. and then against Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story? Oh, you're in trouble now. What? Why? 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 Hello and welcome to IMDb is Obsessed. Today's episode is all about the stories behind the stories in Hollywood, in music, in pop culture. I actually got to see Baz Luhrmann's new Elvis movie down at Graceland, and I'll tell you more about that after my conversation with Jake Brennan. Jake is a brilliant podcaster. His shows create many audio biopics that tell the lowest and often most human moments of our most exalted stars. He's the creator and host of Disgraceland, the number one most downloaded music podcast exploring musicians and their involvement in crimes and scandals, which has also spawned two spinoffs, Hollywoodland and Sportsland. I talked to Jake about the fantastic stories he tells on his pod and all things Elvis. He's an expert on the king. We chatted before I had seen the Elvis movie, so you'll hear us talk about our expectations for the film a bit in this conversation. And then afterwards, I'll hop back on with our producer to give you some more info on the movie now that I've seen it. Okay. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Jake Brennan. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jake. Alex, I'm stoked to be here. Thanks, man. So let's begin with what in the world of movies and TV are you obsessed with right now? Oh, man, I thought this was going to come later. We we're loose. I got <laughs> to get into the money shot right away. Um, I don't know if this is a good answer or not, but it is the truth. I just rewatched Mad Men from start to finish. It was my, mm. my first. So all seven seasons, I believe. And to say I'm obsessed is 100% accurate. Now that I, I write for a living and I've rewatched this, I am just blown away at the writing in this series. I mean, the first time I watched it, it was all about the amazing characters and, of course, the set design and, and the, the vintage cool of it all. But the writing, it's just on another level. So so that's that's a, a heavy obsession. And I just finished it like two nights ago, so it's still like rolling oh, wow. around in my head. I've watched the whole series twice myself. It's just the best writing and the best everything. I have recently watched The Staircase, the scripted version that was yes. on HBO Max, and I loved it. I loved it. At first, yeah. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch this, even though it's like three or four or whatever, how many episodes, six or whatever it was. But then I was just like hooked in. I didn't look at any spoilers on the internet. I didn't look at the Netflix documentary, nothing. I had no idea what happened. And then you get to the end and you're still like, wait, what the hell just happened? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, the documentary and the podcast uh, that accompany it all come to the same conclusion. I teed this up in your intro, but you know, the stories of Hollywood land uh, as you close each week ought to be in pictures. Uh, <laughs> Do you ever approach these stories like you're telling a biopic? Like you're ever, you know, trying to to structure it in that manner? Um, I, I have two answers for that. One, mm. I feel like I started writing my other show, Disgraceland, which is the first podcast I made in Hollywoodland, Sportsland, or spin, spinoffs of that show. Uh, but Disgraceland was kind of born out of a little bit of angst that I had toward the biopic world, which is... Mm. You know, I, I I love biopics. As a music guy, I love them. But after you watch a certain amount of them, it's like, you're just like, come on, man. They're all the same template. And I'm fine with template if you can get into the nitty gritty in, in, a, in a way that is human. And it often feels yep. like when they get to the darkness that is inherent in, in all of these stories, the darkness is kind of glossed over. 
And so that was like, I'm, I'm not going to gloss over it. I'm going to, I'm going to dive right in and not be afraid to, to do it. But to directly answer your question, yes, I have tried to write structurally, uh, not Badlands, but an episode of, of Disgraceland. Uh, it was on Black Sabbath, actually, in the traditional um, sort of, you know, hitting the traditional beats that a biopic or a story arc in a film would, would hit. And it didn't work. Didn't work in the medium. Oh, okay. It's a different thing. It's a totally different yeah. thing. And what I do specifically is even different because it's not chat. It's totally scripted. And it just, it has different beats. It needs a different rhythm, needs different turns. But every story is the same story anyways. Everything's Aristotle's poetics. You know, it's all, it's all built on the same character transformation and arc. Um, it's just a matter of how you arrange those chess pieces in whatever medium you're in. What you and your team are so good at picking is is it's not just these the most scandalous stories, but it's you know the most formative moments in an artist's life and career. And you, you flash forward and back, and you illustrate those connections. You're spinning a narrative, right? Uh, and finding those connections in it, which you know is where I see the crossover of biopic. But I think by investigating the darkness more than many of those will go to, just because you know the darkness is usually a point a plot point to overcome, right? Uh, you can sometimes tell a fuller story, a more grounded or more human story. Yeah, you sometimes have a better chance of, of hooking into a listener when you can be human, yeah. especially like, I mean, that's not, a, I'm happy to hear you say that because it's like, you can find the humanity in all of these people, even the monsters, and we've covered way more monsters in Disgraceland, but unfortunately, we're all flawed, man. You know, we're all, yeah. we all mess up, some to a greater degree than others, but typically there is some good in there. When you can find that good, it helps balance the bad, and that makes for really good storytelling. Well, there's one biopic that we definitely have to talk about. Sure. As the creator of Disgraceland and co-founder of Double Elvis, <laughs> what are you anticipating from Baz Luhrmann's Elvis? <laughs> I don't know, man. That trailer is like, it's incredible, and it really has me wondering what we're going to get here. First of all, yeah. I, I think it's high time we had a definitive Elvis biopic. It, you know, like yes. we, we just have not had one and we don't have one. We need one. I mean, he's Elvis. We're America. Yeah. It's Hollywood. <laughs> Let's go. Um, yeah. He's our king. Like, please. Why is, why has it been 45 years since his death? And we have right, nothing. Right. We have a whole, you know? we have a whole, uh, Netflix series on the queen of England. Like let's <laughs> yes. Multiple, <laughs> right. Right. Multiple seasons. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I also think we're kind of overdue for a, a, a Boz Lerman, like a great, great one from him. Like we're, we're ready. Mm. But I don't know what to think. I really don't know what to think. You know, I like in the beginning how I think it was the first trailer I saw. I don't know if it's in both, but there's a shot of him on stage and he's wearing the pink blazer and he's got the eyeliner on. And I was very happy to see that because when I when I first read about Elvis, I was, you know, 18, 19. I read Peter Gromick's book on Elvis, Last Train. I think it's called Last Train in Memphis or maybe I'm confusing that. But it was Gromick's book. And I was struck by the fact that Elvis, when he was like 15 years old, was completely acneed over in his face and he would wear mm. make makeup to school in Memphis in the early 50s eyeliner and like pink yeah. blazers like he dressed like that so we see it we see it in the trailer and I'm happy for that and you know he looks like this like icon immediately but you know he wasn't an icon immediately he was a an alien, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So weird. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and whatever, if the, if the filmmaker's point of view doesn't tap into the weirdness, I'm not going to be critical of that, but it, it feels like they're, they might be going toward it a little bit. And I was happy to see that. So I have a lot of thoughts. I don't know. I don't know. What about you? No, Elvis is definitely an alien. He came to this planet 
formed in this, you know, way that no one could have expected, especially from the time period, the place he's from, everything. So, uh, yeah, I agree. I, I actually just recently watched uh, John Carpenter's Elvis TV movie from 1979. Oh. It's it's the one where he and Kurt Russell met. It's the first one that they ever did yeah. uh, together. It's not great. Um, it's also pre them finding out that, uh, Colonel Tom Parker was a crook and was not, you know, a Colonel or, or Tom Parker or any of the things he said. Uh, so it doesn't investigate any of that. Colonel Tom is, uh, played by Pat Hingle, who was famously commissioner Gordon and all the old Batman movies, Mm. but they don't investigate any of that. And I'm really interested in that side of it. That's something that I didn't really find out until much later of knowing Elvis. I think I knew that, you know, he had somewhat of a Svengali who was, taking over his career as a manager, but not to the depths of, of, of uh, deception that he had. And I'm excited to see, even with all the makeup and everything and the strange voice that Tom Hanks is affecting for Colonel Tom Parker, I'm excited to see what he's doing with it. I, I, I want to see that character investigated. I don't know how Tom Hanks can credibly play that character and not get into that aspect of him. If he doesn't, the movie's yes. going to it, it'll just be a joke like it'll just, or it'll yes. just be like a blow up you know what i mean which whatever it'll be fun people will be into it but you're right uh you know colonel parker for those who don't know was he comes out of the circus circuit like he's a he's yeah. a carney barker basically and and that's his approach to promotion and in a lot of ways it worked for elvis fin- financially for, as far as the gross was concerned i mean he treated elvis he treated elvis like a like a special attraction, you know what I mean? Where he wouldn't have Elvis tour because if he toured, first of all, the financial overhead is huge, but now you're going to every city. But if you just put Elvis in a movie every six months, you know what I mean? It's less overhead and way more at the gate. Um, But there, you know, to your point about that movie in 79 and what was and what wasn't known by then, at a certain point in, in following decades, it comes out that like, oh, well, maybe the reason Colonel Parker never brought Elvis to Europe was because Colonel Parker couldn't go to Europe. And there's this this pretty well-sourced accusation, I have to be careful how I say this, where it's alleged that Colonel Tom Parker, who was from the Netherlands, ends up in America in the 30s, 40s, after supposedly killing a woman and being on the run. That's what is alleged. Mm. Um, So that he could not, because he didn't have... uh, passport he couldn't go back to europe with elvis so and and in the 70s elvis when elvis starts to run into money problems which is insane to say but it was true he had huge offers to go play all over the world and park colonel parker always turned them down not to and then to also throw onto that that you know most managers make 10 to 15 percent parker was making 50 percent 50 that's nuts and blowing all of it. Yeah. I think, you know, when Elvis died, he had something maybe upwards of $30 million in gambling debts. Elvis, yeah. or you're talking yeah. about Parker had the debt. Parker, right? I'm sorry, yeah. Parker. Parker had $30 million, yeah, in, in debts when Elvis died. Uh, and, you know, then his cash cow was gone, so he didn't have any way to, right. to make any more besides, you know, kind of those quickie release records that he would just pump out with, you know, Elvis speaks. I have one of those where there's no songs. It's just the, yeah, it's just the Elvis uh, talking in between songs. Oh my God. Uh, I would love to hear that. Is it on vinyl? Yes. I I found it at a thrift store years ago. It's, it's uh, pretty uh, boring to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Cause well, it's, it's just frustrating because he's, you know, like this one's from Mama and then he starts to like get revved up and then you start to hear the band and then it is the next track. I wonder if they'll hit on, 
You know, I, I've done a lot of research about Elvis. I wrote a book where Elvis is heavily featured in it uh, called Disgraceland. I've been to Graceland recently. I was there about a year ago. Um, I got a, a private tour of the place. And you really get a sense of just how lonely the guy was in the yeah. last, in the 70s in particular, and how unfulfilled he was in every aspect of his life. And it's really sad. It's really, really sad to to think about what could have been for that guy because yeah. I, I don't know any entertainer besides perhaps Frank Sinatra, but not really, maybe Madonna. I don't know any other en- entertainer that that had what Elvis had and the ability to click on all of those different levels, acting, singing, just entertaining, charisma, the looks. I mean, it's just, it's yeah. unbelievable. And it was such a sad mess at the end. It's it's tough to think about. Yeah, to think about those people that just took advantage uh, all around him and, you know, that he just couldn't find anyone to surround himself that wasn't wasn't going to, like, take that from him and, and not see that he is this special talent that we should be helping to make great, amazing things for as long as possible and instead, like, just treat him like, what what quick buck can we get off of yeah. this guy? Yeah. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Are there any Disgraceland style stories that you think, uh, you know, probably won't be in the Lerman film, but you wish they were? Oh, yeah. God, yeah. Of course. There's so many cool. There's so many cool anecdotes about Elvis. Like, you know, you and you see a bunch of this when you're at Graceland. You start to tour the art. There's like an artifacts room and they have like his badges and some of his guns and that sort of thing. And like, oh, yeah. You know, I wonder. I think it's in the 79 film. I, I think there is a depiction of him shooting out Robert Goulet on the television. I could be wrong. Yes. Um, yeah, they don't show Goulet, but they definitely show the, yeah, the TV yeah. getting shot. Yeah, yeah. So, so they actually show it at the beginning and the ending of the film. So you, it's, uh, it's burned yeah. and yeah. So may, yeah. maybe that'll be in 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 the new one. Um, but Elvis had this really <laughs> weird habit slash cool habit of, um, you know, he was completely enamored of law enforcement towards the end, and he would collect yeah. badges. And he had Memphis PD on lock. They were like all good old boys who loved him, and he would he would roll around Memphis in whatever car he was driving. And he had one of those sirens, like in the old seventies cop shows where you could just like plan on the hood and he would pull people over and tell them to slow down or like, <laughs> like it was like a regular thing that he did. Yeah, that That's fascinating to me. Uh, the posing as the cop thing. And then there's the, the weirdness of like when they buried him, they, of course he's at Graceland now, but they buried him at a cemetery 
and they tried stealing the body. Oh, wow. Priscilla had to like go through some really weird legal maneuvering to get it back at Graceland. But yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff that you know you can find. Uh, I'm not sure it'll all be in there. They got a story to tell. They got some heavy lifting to do in that film. Oh, yeah. They got three hours to do it, but uh, there's still so much so much Elvis to, to, to tell you yeah. know, over, over his crazy life. Um, and I'm sure there are plenty of stories you want to still tell. What are you itching to do next on uh, Disgraceland? Um, Disgraceland, we have season 10 launching July 12th. We've got a two-part episode on the Sex Pistols and I'm very excited about. Oh, wow. Uh, the story of Jennifer Hudson's family, which was really shocking. The double murder of her brother and her mother. Um, uh, Robert Johnson, I've got, a, I've got a good sort of oh. Halloween episode coming up on him and it's not your typical goes to the crossroads and sells his soul type of thing. I mean, it is, but it isn't. And I get to collaborate with one of my favorite R&B singers on the planet right now. This guy, Lee Fields, he's a great musician. He, uh, he does a cameo on the podcast. He plays the part of wow. Sunhouse, which is hysterical. Wow. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah, that sounds great. I love, I love that Robert Johnson story so much. I think that's one that, you know, done, done the kind of fantasy element of yes. really showing hell yeah. could be such an interesting, cool biopic yeah. movie, you know, show those hell hounds chasing yeah, him down yeah. last night on stage. <laughs> Love it. Nice. Well, Jake, thank you so much for joining me on IMDb is obsessed. Uh, you can and should binge all 10 episodes of Hollywood land on Amazon music right now. And listen for Disgraceland, July 12th. July 12th. Uh, yeah, and you can hear archived episodes. And uh, we're wrapping season nine of Disgraceland with our episode on George Harrison. You can get that wherever you listen to your podcasts. Alex, thanks, man. Appreciate it. We'll see you around. Thank you so much, Jake. I'm actually headed to Graceland tonight. What? Yes. Wow. This is This will be my first time. It is a pilgrimage I've been trying to make my entire oh life. Oh, my God. Amazing. Yeah. I am going tomorrow for the Elvis press tour and premiere. So nice. I am I am very much set up for a whole weekend of Elvis. Very cool. Well, make sure you see the jungle room. It should be open. Yes. Make sure you see the jungle room. I hear it's not open sometimes. Make sure you prepare yourself for the backyard because it's, it's emotional. It's very heavy. Yeah. And make sure you go to Hernando's Hideaway when you're in Memphis. Hernando's Hideaway. Jerry Lee Lewis's place was Hernando's Highway. That was the bar down the street. And it's still open and it is amazing. Okay. Go tell him the guy from Disgraceland sent you. Maybe it'll, okay. maybe it'll get you a domestic beer on the house. <laughs> oh, that sounds perfect. Right up my alley. <laughs> okay, that was my convo with Jake. I love talking to him. As promised, I want to tell you a bit more about Baz Luhrmann's Elvis movie now that I've seen it. To help me out so I don't just talk to myself about it is our producer, Jeff Lupino Esposito. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Alex. Honored to follow Jake here. I'm excited to hear more about Elvis. I want to hear about Austin Butler and the whole film. But first, did you go to Hernando's Hideaway? I didn't. No. But I got to tell you, I am planning my next trip back to Memphis as soon as possible. I loved it. I actually went to Graceland and did the full tour two times, and I could have done it a third easily. I loved all of it so much. It was just so much going on. You know, I was really only there for less than three days wow. all in, and it just, there's so much more to see of Memphis. I just got a taste of it, and I loved everything about it. That's awesome. Was the Graceland experience sort of as emotional as Jake had anticipated for you, too? <sighs> you know, he warned me, and I did not expect it. It it lulls mm. you along uh John Stamos is your tour guide on in your ears throughout the entire experience. <laughs> okay. He has a very deep connection to uh, the Elvis story that I never knew about. Uncle Jesse mm. is actually named after Elvis's twin brother, 
who died at birth. Jesse wow. Garen Presley. Yeah, that's why he always wanted to be Elvis. So that's why they named him Uncle Jesse. Uh. And yeah, so he tells this really emotional tale through each of the rooms and a little bit about the history and everything. It's all locked in time. So some of it is garish, of course, because it's very, you know, there's carpet from, you know, wall to wall, ceiling to ceiling, all over the place, green (laughs) shag carpet. Uh, But Uh. you go, you wind through the house, you learn more and more about him, his family, you know, the people around him. And then you end up in this meditation garden in the back where Elvis, Mm. his mother, his father, his grandmother, and a headstone representing that baby brother, Jesse, are all uh, laid to rest. And it is heavy and people are out there, you know, tearing up and connecting with the king. And it's uh, it's really a beautiful thing to see. Wow. Well, that's an amazing groundwork to lay as you go (laughs) to see Baz Luhrmann's movie. I I mean, I'd love to hear about how Austin Butler was in it and maybe just initial takeaway on the film itself. Yeah. So Austin is fantastic. He's really good. And if you haven't watched that video that they posted of him singing That's All Right Mama in early rehearsals, he's actually singing it to Riley Keough, who is Elvis's granddaughter. Wow. It shows you how talented he is and how much he worked to get this role and really make it sing. And what he does in evolving Elvis over the, you know, very distinct periods, young Elvis, you know, kind of the comeback Elvis and then like, you know, larger than life. Vegas Elvis are distinct yeah. and really, really impressive. He captures something there. It's it's a hard role to play. It's it's asking so much of the man. And I really, really liked him. Now, some people there, some of the other journalists were already saying, like, Oscar, this is this guy's got it on lock. Ooh. You know, if Rami got it, like he deserves it. Maybe this will be the one that Taryn Edgerton really deserved because there's a lot of Rocket Man <laughs> fans. Me myself, I, I am one as well. Uh I loved huh. Rocket Man. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not 100% sold that that he's going to win this year. The Oscars love a biopic, so they're they're going yeah. to show some love for this movie for sure, but I don't know if uh, he'll walk away with it. That's fair. On the topic of biopics, I'm sort of a fan of biopics that tackle a smaller window Me of time. Too. This yes. looks really expansive. Yes. I mean, how do they kind of balance that or handle that? It's difficult because they are covering so much time. What is really smart about it and what I do like and was actually a turnoff for some people at can is that it's all told from the perspective of Colonel Tom Parker, played by mm. Tom Hanks. It is seen right. through that filter. So certain aspects of Elvis's life, like his marriage to Priscilla, aren't as deeply explored as kind of the rock star or in the man behind the rock star and, you know, that just performance side of Elvis. And, and you know, it didn't delve necessarily into as much of the personal stuff unless Colonel Tom Parker was a part of that. And he's, you know, he's the opening narration. You're following kind of his filter, his perspective of Elvis's life. And that helped shape it. That helped give it more of a backbone than trying to be a cradle to grave. Here's all the major hits of this person's life, which are don't make a movie. You know, they make a biopic, (laughs) but it's not necessarily a three act narrative story and what you would call a movie. Okay, so this gets to frame that. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it works a lot of the time. There's places where it doesn't as as well, but it's an interesting take. I think Baz was smart working with several writers to shape this in encapsulating it that way. Baz Luhrmann, I mean, the director and and co-writer of the film. Right. On that topic of Colonel Tom Parker, you know, for those of us who have only seen the trailer so far, that Tom Hanks's accent and prosthetics are pronounced. Mm. How does that play in context? Uh, Well, 
you first see him, Colonel Tom Parker, as a very old man, and he's even in heavier prosthetics and looks mm. even more ridiculous. So then by comparison, when you see Tom in kind of, you know, middle age Tom Parker, you are maybe more accepting of it, I think is a little wow. bit of a trick that the thing plays because it begins yeah. with the end of, of Tom Parker's life looking back and, you know, trying to deal with the guilt of really one of his first lines is I didn't kill Elvis because wow. it, you know, that, that his demise, his, you know, fall to drugs was in very much blamed on Colonel Tom Parker. Mm. Uh, and then it's kind of the case for or against that. It, it doesn't, you know, make a strong statement either way because the man was very manipulative, but yeah, I really liked what Tom Hanks was doing. I like the accent. Oh, I got used to it. I had no trouble understanding it whatsoever. It's a bold choice because if you listen to archival audio and video of Colonel Tom Parker, he doesn't always necessarily have as strong of an accent. It kind of slips in and out. And, you know, he is mm -hmm. a man who's running from a past and trying to hide that past. So he is trying to put on a different accent. So it slips in and out at different times. Hanks is chosen an yeah. accent and every word is spoken in it, which I think to some people's understanding is like, well, why didn't anybody know that he wasn't this Southern gentleman? He's clearly <laughs> got this, you know, European accent, but I don't think that's the case. I think he made a choice. It worked for me. It was interesting to watch him do. And it's Hanks. He's great. When is he bad? <laughs> One of the greatest ever. Yeah. Okay. Then my last question for you, how would you rank this film first against walk the line mm. and then against walk hard, the Dewey Cox story? I was worried. Dewey Cox, Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story is one of my favorite biopics, top three, for sure. Yes, and so good. The way that it just broke every single trope of Walk Hard down and lampooned it so perfectly and just kind of scorched the earth for it. Any, it hurt biopics. I mean, it gave a, a baseline for what biopics should not do anymore. It like yeah. <laughs> just investigated every single trope and everything that's funny about them. And I'll say Elvis did learn enough from it. It isn't, it doesn't make a lot of those mistakes. There are some of them, Nice. you know, there are things that just like have to be trite because so, you're covering so much yeah. ground. Maybe you don't have to cover that much ground is what we're kind of setting up earlier on. You can take a slice, sure. you know, and there is, yep. there is a, an extended slice of this that is just soars above all the rest. It's his mm. 1968 comeback special section of the movie of like creating that, the the challenge of it, the people working in Elvis's favor, how that affected his relationship with Colonel Tom Parker and like all of that clash was incredible and so, so yeah. well done. And that's like, that's where you can see it's like, there's really a narrative here. There's really a three act structure and you can understand that. And you can avoid those tropes that Walk Hard just absolutely blew apart and made so funny. But yeah, I like it a lot better than Walk the Line. And I'm a huge Johnny Cash fan. I yeah. loved what Joaquin was doing. It's so impressive that he did all, all of the singing in it. Uh, Austin does a lot of the singing in this, especially the early singing of Elvis. Okay. And then later on, they used um, they used archival and they used some like, uh, I think. That makes sense. Yeah, recreations and stuff, just because his voice hasn't, you know, he's not a 40-something-year-old man. But it is more satisfying than Walk the Line or Bohemian Rhapsody mm -hmm. and more inventive, more stylish and investigates a similar rise and fall of a rock star in a slightly more fresh way than either of those aspired to. That's fantastic. Well, I can't wait to see it. Uh, I'm going to see it again. Thanks. So if, you yeah. know, when it's back or when it's out, I right. gladly, we'll gladly, go. yeah, we should see it. That's awesome. Alex, thanks for giving us the breakdown on it. Yeah. Um, for those listening at home, if you want to figure out what to watch next after you go see Elvis in theaters, 
Uh, you got to go to the IMDb What to Watch app on Fire TV. You can play quick games with friends and family, and that'll actually help you decide what to watch instead of just endlessly scrolling until you give up, which we all suffer from. So check out the IMDb What to Watch app. Yeah, and whatever you choose to watch, we always want to hear about it. Tweet at IMDb using the hashtag IMDb is obsessed. Or you can always email us at obsessedpodcast at imdb.com. And remember to leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, Jeff. Okay, Alex, should we do it? What are we doing? <laughs> you thinking the same thing I am? I, I was, I, I think so. I was going to express my gratitude for talking to you. Oh, well, I was going to talk about how a certain someone has removed himself from the structure. Okay, <laughs> so let's both do it. All right. And now Alex has left the building. Thank you. Thank you very much, Alex. Perfect. <laughs> See you next week, guys. Bye.